And for the rest of us, we're going to continue our psalm study, our series we're getting about halfway through. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he comforts, he comforts. The Lord is my shepherd, he comforts. Father, we come before you now and this word is being presented. Father, pray our hearts and minds that we will be driven to you. To recognize your grace, your mercy, Lord. And yet, Lord, in the midst of all that, we recognize that you're an awesome God. You're a just God. And Father, I pray that as our hearts and minds are directed to you, you'll lift us up and strengthen us. For as we get to know more and more of you, understand more of your plan, your purpose for our lives, we gain a greater wisdom. And the greater wisdom we have, the closer we become, we come to you. To act out and find total fulfillment for what you would have in our lives. Father, we're kingdom people. We're part of your kingdom. Father, I ask you to touch and strengthen each one of us now. Give us insight into your word, Lord, to leave this place different than you've come. For Father, it's not just about religious ritual or routine, just a few songs to be sung. It's about a relationship. It's getting to know you in a mighty way. And Father, your love letter before us is something we strive to read, to understand. And we spend time in your presence. And there your spirit begins to touch and strengthen us. And give us insight. For in your presence there is that strength, Lord. Let us never become discouraged over the things that are going on around our lives, but to begin to understand, to be able to see things as you see things. Give us that heaven view, that heaven perspective. And in doing so, our lives can be transformed and changed. There's hope in that perspective. We love you a bunch. Precious in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Psalm 23, verse 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. We are looking at verse 4 this time. We are in about halfway through the psalm. David has been talking to us about all the ways that God wants to bless us, and he's speaking to us from a shepherd's viewpoint, which makes sense that he would do that. Verse 4 tells us, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we talked about that last week, I will fear no evil, why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to talk a little bit about the rod and staff, how they comfort, how they comfort. And you have to ask yourself a question right up front. How in the world can a rod and staff, two sticks, comfort me? That's the last thing. Listen to me. When I was raised, my father was very patriotic. He laid on the stripes and I saw the stars. You can ask yourself, how in the world can a rod bring comfort into my life? Well, it's important that we understand that uh, because they do represent something, they symbolize something, and there's benefits in what they represent. It gives us an insight into our God, who He really is, and it gives us a better understanding to this issue of comfort. David said, your rod, what? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, he was a shepherd, so he understood the meaning and the purpose of a rod and of a, a staff. Now, they were two tools, they were ancient tools, used by shepherds, and they've been used by shepherds for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, we find that the rod is a defensive tool. It's used against predators, wolves, and anybody else or anything else who want to attack the sheepfold. So the rod is a defensive weapon 
used on enemies of the sheep. The staff is also used on sheep, but it's used a little bit different. Now, we understand, we talked about this before, sheep don't have any teeth, not really. They really can't bite anything. They don't have any claws, you know, and they don't run real fast. They're kind of fun. You ever see them run? They kind of wobble, you know. It's like, hurry up, they're coming, you know, we're going to go. And that's the sheep. They don't get very far very quick. And so you have to say, well, you need some help. All they really do is eat grass. So they're pretty defenseless, and they're pretty dumb. It comes right down to it. That's the reason why I never liked the Lord saying, we're sheep. Let me try and say, Lord, you know, <laughs> you're sheep. <laughs> I don't like that analogy. You know, make me something else but a sheep, you know, whatever. Anyways, I don't think I'll ever really confront him with it. I'll leave it alone, you know. So we know this. Without a shepherd, I mean, without a sheep, shepherds, well, without a shepherd, sheep are just vulnerable. And anything around them can take their lives. And so they are in need of protection. And so that rod becomes a defensive tool to fight against predators and any adversaries. So when we look at the rod, I want you to think about guarding and protecting. Now, a staff, on the other hand, is for guiding and directing because sheep have a tendency to wander. They do. And so a shepherd's staff has this little crook in the end of it, a little hook. And the reason why that hook is there is so he could pull that sheep out of trouble. It's longer than the rod, and it can also poke the sheep once in a while to get them moving in the right direction. So I guess it's by hook or by crook you got them under control. <laughs> Anyways. Now, sheep can graze. They're amazing animals. They actually can graze in very difficult ter uh, terrain. They can actually stand on hills. I read this. They can actually stand on hillside that's almost 50 to 60 to 70 degrees of the angle. Cows can't do that. kind of roll over, you know, but not a sheep. They can do that. But the problem is that means they're in mountains. And mountains have what? Cliffs. And because they ain't that smart, or are not that smart, because we're taping and the world's going to hear me, you know, so. They like to gaze. They graze and just kind of graze. They come right up to the edge of, the, of that cliff. And without realizing, they lose their balance over the edge. So the shepherd would see this and say, you dummy, what are you doing? And he would take his staff and he would hook them and pull them back either by the, with their feet or by the neck. Get them off that edge. He wants to protect them. Or once in a while, they would roam around and wander and they get themselves over some briar bush, etc. Bunch of thorns. Shepherds don't want to go in there. You know, it's kind of like you go in and get them. I ain't getting them. But they get their staff and they would grab hold of them and pull them out of there to protect them. So the staff is used as a tool of recovery. It's a tool of guidance. It's a tool used to get them out of a jam, get you out of a jam as well. Hmm, interesting. So that's what they're used for. So when you look at the two tools, the rod and the staff, they symbolize the symbolism there. The metaphor behind them is simply this, that one is strength, power, might, and one is comfort. Now, one of the things we notice, and you ever notice Pharaoh? When you ever see pictures of Pharaohs, they have these two sticks, right? Cross it. One looks like a shepherd's hook and also a rod. What they're saying, that Pharaoh is saying is, I am the protector of my nation and I'm the authority of my nation. That's what they're saying. You didn't know you, see, you learned something this morning, did you? Yeah, I learned something too. I didn't realize that. I mean, I always saw Pharaohs with us. What are they doing? I don't know, back, back scratcher and I don't know what they're doing, you know, but I thought they had servants for that stuff. But they're actually making a statement. He's actually saying, I'm both the protector and the authority of my nation. That's what I'm doing. 
So when David says, when David goes on and says, the Lord is my shepherd, verse 1, and then verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He is saying, I recognize the rod represents your power and your authority, and your staff represents care and compassion. So what does it mean to you? How do you get this comfort? How do you get comfort out of that? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Paul writes, May the God of peace, notice this, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, what did he do? Brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he's called. The great shepherd of sheep. If you study scripture, you're going to find that he's not only called the great shepherd of sheep, he's called the cheap sheep shepherd. He's also called the good shepherd. And so throughout the entire Bible, Jesus is referred to, the Father refers to Christ as, in fact, the shepherd. And also, like I mentioned before, you also read through scriptures, and sheep becomes a symbol of God's people. In fact, you're going to find in scripture where that the word of God actually calls the church the flock of God. So we're a flock of sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture, he says. Notice what John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Now, how is he going to take and protect us? How is he going to protect us against the, the thief who wants to kill, steal, kill, and destroy? How is he going to you know, give us life? Well, the symbols are there. The rod to protect us from that which we try to steal from us. And the, the staff is going to provide for us that, that life to its full, protecting us. From when we wander. He goes on to say, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And he did exactly that. He said, I came, I came so that my sheep would have life. I came that my sheep would have everything that they need. I am the good shepherd. I will protect them and I will give them life to its full. In doing so, listen to me, I'm committed. I will I give my life up for the sheep. And he did just exactly that. He is the good shepherd. We are the flock of God. Now, you know, the physical shepherd uses those tools, the rod and the staff, for direction and protection, for guidance and for guarding. And God uses the exact same tools for us. Because actually, when you look at Scripture, Christ wants to both guide us and guard us. He wants to protect us and direct us. If we'll trust him. You know, we sing a lot of choruses and songs, and a lot of times a lot of not a lot of platitudes that we use. Come into my life, I trust you, Jesus, you know. Presence. And I was thinking about it as we're singing the songs, to some just sitting and listening, say, what's he saying? But for those who recognize that truly is a shepherd and have that relationship with our God, it's it's from our heart. It's a testimony. Yes, he comforts, yes, he's there. My life is in him. He is my salvation. It's not just words that I'm speaking, but it's an experience that I'm expressing. God wants to do both in our lives. He wants to direct us and protect us. If we'll trust Him. We have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. There's several ways that He does this. Number one, we recognize, according to Scripture, when I am helpless and hurting, the Good Shepherd does what? According to the passage, shows me compassion. When I come to my Lord, having trusted Him, 
When I come to him with an open heart, a humble heart, I come before him and I say, I've got this problem. Don't look at the person's side of you right now. I've got a problem maybe with my finances. I've got a problem with my emotions or my relationships. Something's out of whack, Lord. It isn't right. And I'm not going to ask you why at this point. I'm going to ask you, what are you teaching? What are you showing me? I talked to you last time. We said that, you know, there are issues in our lives that need to be transformed and changed. And one of the ways the Lord, the, way, <laughs> the gift He has given to us to reveal some of those areas that we don't pick up on, He's given us a spouse. Because our spouses will reveal all that stuff that needs to be changed in our lives. If we were living by ourselves, we'd be all happy, you know, because we're all there. But when a spouse comes in, someone else comes into our life, they begin to point these things out. So you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I got this problem. There's something really hurting me, Lord. I don't know what it is, Lord. I don't know if it's just the age, what's going on. Angela's actually caught up in getting old. Did you notice that this morning? She's getting caught up in getting old. Glory be, you know. Forgive her, Lord. She's reality. Well, I don't want to go that way, okay? <laughs> so what it is. So he said, Lord, I got all this issue going on in my life, and, and I know they aren't supposed to be this way, but Lord, you've got to respond. Somehow, Lord, I'm feeling hurt, betrayed. Someone's been unfaithful to me. I don't know. It's just there. How's it respond? According to the word, if I'm spending time in his presence and I know his word, he'll, bring, he'll begin to touch and speak to me through his word. He might speak to me through a brother or sister coming up and just giving me a word of encouragement. Holy Spirit might even speak to my life and, then, and, and remind me and speak to me, you know, in, in a way that it's special. But he doesn't rebuke me. He's not, well, you screwed up, knucklehead. He doesn't do that. He doesn't rebuke me. He serves us. He doesn't put me down. He pills, lifts me up. He picks me up. He doesn't hassle me, he heals me. He reveals. I know that because he doesn't change. In Matthew chapter 9, look at it. When he saw the crowds, what did he do? He had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw them as being harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't look at them and say, hey, look at guys, you're all wrong. You doing all? No, he saw that they needed guidance and direction. And so therefore, he was full with compassion. He had that compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to tell you something right now. How you look at people determines a lot and tells us a lot about what's in your heart. The way you look at people tells us a lot about what's in your heart. When Jesus looked at the folks, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. He didn't see all their sin and all their screw-ups and all the things they did in rebellion. He moved on compassion, with compassion. He said they're hurting. Whether they brought it upon themselves or not, or was it a religious society, whatever it was, it didn't matter. He saw them hurting. He came to save and to set free, to find those who were lost. That's the way God looks at our problems. That's how he looks at the situations we get ourselves into. He looks with compassion. Now you know there's a difference between empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Sympathy means, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry you're hurt. 
and I'm sending you this sympathy card that says, I'm thinking about you. In fact, you can even do them right now, email them, right? Couple, and you're done. Consciousness is cleared, going about our business. You want to get a little bit deeper in commitment? Well, it's called empathy. Empathy means, you know, not only am I sorry you're hurt, but I'm also hurting with you. I'm feeling your pain. Compassion? Compassion's different. Compassion means, I am sorry. I'm feeling your pain. And I want to do anything I possibly can to stop that hurt. And be involved. And the Bible continually, repeatedly tells us that when Jesus saw people, he saw they were in pain. Throughout Scripture, we'll find he constantly was moved with compassion. I'll do anything it takes to stop your hurt. That's what Jesus was saying. He saw the hurt and the pain. He said, I'll do anything, anything, anything to stop your hurt, even if it means dying on the cross. Even if it means having nails nailed through my hands and my feet. Folks, that's compassion. That's compassion. Just as the Son of God did not come to serve, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's compassion. He showed compassion. He said, I have come to serve and to give. And when you think about that, that literally, that really, that, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a true Christian, not just in name, but to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What, what defines us as children of God is the giving and the serving. That's what defines us. It should define us. It should define a Christian life. I notice when we're talking about this, our life in Christ, centering our life upon Him and giving our lives to Him, there's an interesting paradox in this verse. When it comes to our relationship with our God, because Jesus and God often, and we know this throughout Scripture, He constantly tells us, hmm, make a note to yourself. It's not about you. And how many times I have said to you over and over again, listen, get your head out of here. Listen to me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about our God. And so when I come to Christ, I realize he's saying to me, it's not about you. It's not about you. You're here to serve. You're here to minister. You're here to come before me and have the gifts stirred within your life so that you can be a, a servant. You can reach out to those that are hurting. It's not about you. But yet from God's standpoint, he looks at us and says, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's the paradox of the verse. You give your life away. It's not yours. It's really about God, about other people. But when it comes to God, it's the exact opposite. Jesus is saying, it's all about you. I came to this earth for you. I died for you. I suffered for you. And I sacrificed for you. It's all about you from God's point of view. He's unselfish. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to experience that Christ-likeness. He never was thinking about himself. He was always thinking about the others. Number two, if I choose to follow him, Jesus will lead me on path, in right paths. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the valley. Verse three talks about, so simply, 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me in the right direction. He becomes my guide through life. See, I'll tell you what, if you're just walking through this life on your own, you're missing a, a, you're missing a whole lot of life. Because I'll tell you something, this is important. The shepherd always knows more than the sheep. Doesn't take much because they're dumb, but he still knows more than the sheep. And, and Jesus himself, he always knows more about our lives than we know about ourselves. Why? Because we were created. He knows us. He made us. He knows our faults and our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows our parents' past. He knows generations. He knows what's going on in our lives. He, he knows more about us even when we don't know our own purpose. Psalm 23, sa 23 says this, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. John chapter 10 verse 4 says, He has what? Brought, <laughs> he has brought you out all of His own. He goes ahead of them. And his sheep, what? Follow him. Because they say Jesus is not a cowboy. He's a shepherd. You know why I know that? Because I got a picture. There it is. There's a picture of Jesus leading the sheep. He's in front of them. No cowboy. I'll tell you what. Took some time to get that, you know. But tithes and offerings have been up, so we're able to, to afford that, you know, get that one. <laughs> he leads. That's what the scripture says. He goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow. That's what the good shepherd, he walks ahead of the sheep. Why? The scripture says because what? He's not a cowboy. They follow him because they recognize his voice. Shepherds go first. He's modeling. He's mentoring. He's leading. He's the example. He's not a cowboy because notice cowboys, you watch those westerns, what do they do? They, 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 you know, they just basically drive the cattle, right? They run around and they whoop and they holler and they, they push, they're on the side and they got to get them going. That's what they do. And they're always pushing them, always push. They don't necessarily want to go where they're going, but what they do, they're pushing them, right? Driving them back. They drive them from the back. Jesus leads the sheep from the front and they follow and that's the, per that's the point. He's never going to push you. Christ, the word church, we should never push anyone through life. He's not pushing you. He's not going to push you to do things you don't want to do. He's not going to push you to do something you're not interested to do. Because I don't want to go to church because I'm a Christian because I make me do all this stuff. No, you're wrong. I don't know where to, you may be going to a legalistic kind of view, but that's not what God, he doesn't push you to do anything. You do what you want to do. It's your choice. He's a shepherd. He's going to lead. He's going to take the front row. He's going to walk and he's going to lead the way. He'll lead the way if you follow. He's going to say, watch how I do it. Here's what I think you need to do. He gives us the word, the principles of God's word. And he says, here they are. It's your choice. And we say, that's ridiculous. Fine. You face the consequence. After a while... This dumb sheep over here realizes, you know what? When he makes a suggestion, I'll follow it. When his word reveals something, I'll do it. Made me be uncomfortable, may not really understand it completely, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Because see, we need to follow his lead. And if we follow his lead, life would be a whole lot easier. We have a whole lot 
We're going to have problems, but we had a whole lot fewer problems, you know, and a lot less stress because a whole lot of problems we come, we bring out about ourselves because we're not too wise. You say, well, Pastor, how do I know that he wants to lead me in the right direction? I'm so glad you asked. Psalm 26, verse 3 says, for your love is ever before me. Notice we just said Jesus leads before, and the scripture saying, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually, what? In your truth, I'm behind you. What's, what am I following? I'm following his love. How do I know that he's going to lead me in the right direction? Because of his love. This is important. He always leads with that love. Not with laws. That's important. Not with rules and regulations. He's not driving us. Not trying to manipulate us into doing something. He says, here I am. Here's the word. Here's the truth. It'll set you free. But you've got to apply. You've got to choose it. And there's a lot of reasons. There's a reason why a lot of people are afraid of God. Because they think that I somehow get involved with the church. You know, make me do stuff. They give me all these rules and regulations. Now, well, folks, I'm going to tell you something. You serve the Lord for any length of time. You may, there'll be changes in your life. It's going to happen. Listen, I, I love this view. and I love this statement. He'll always take you where you're at, meet you where you're at, but you're never going to leave. He's never going to leave you there. You can't. And not because he's forcing you, but because there's a love thing going on. Man, you just respect him. You become, you're being mentored by him. And you, you, you realize his wisdom and his knowledge and is there. And wow, I'll be like, Jesus, man. That's cool. He doesn't drive us with rules, this, do this, and do that. Don't do this, don't do this. He leads us with love, not laws. That's how a good shepherd leads. Number three, when I get confused and I wander off, according to the scripture, it tells me, that Jesus finds and he brings us back. Praise God for that. Get confused. Not ever, right? Jesus was talking to those religious leaders of the day. Now remember something. He talks about sheep again. He said, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go, Go to find, look for the one who's wandered off. He's asking that question. And you say, well, why would you do that? It's only one. You got 99. You're leaving 99 to lose, go after that one? That one means something. It matters. This is not a number. You know, shepherds actually name their sheep. If you really study it a little bit, they all give them names. That's amazing. How would you do that? You know, I, I have a hard time remembering some of your names. You know, you got super. It's probably why the Lord keeps the numbers down in the church because He knows if we had a lot of people, I would just blow it all the time, be insulting everybody because I get all the wrong names. You know, because that one matters. He said, I've got a hundred sheep, but 90, 99 of them are safe, but one of them wanders away. I'm going after that one. That's what He says. We're all saved. We're all going to heaven. You know, I was thinking, and I'll be crude, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. The church that doesn't want to grow, a church that doesn't want to grow, affect people's lives, is basically saying, go to hell. A church that wasn't, doesn't want to go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news is basically telling the world, well, basically the church is saying, you know what? We're happy. We're going to heaven. We're saved. 
We got our group. The rest of you, oh well. It takes an unselfish people to be like Christ, to say, we're going to keep reaching out. We may be denied and we may be kicked and we may be crucified several times, but that one, that one individual, well, here's the word. One. We're going to keep reaching out. There's still one more who needs the Lord. Because that's the reason why Jesus came to this earth. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I ain't lost. But you've got to be lost, man. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Don't tell me you weren't lost. You're not lost. You, you know where you're headed. Don't tell me that because the scripture, just follow the logic. If you weren't lost, then Christ wouldn't have to come. So because he came, it's clear that you're lost. And if you could get to heaven simply by being a, a kind of a nice person that does all good things, well, the good works actually you know, outweigh the bad works, then you get to heaven that way, then Jesus dying on the cross was a waste of time. If there was any other way for us to get to heaven, any other way except by Jesus Christ, any other way, then God sending his son, a perfect life to die for our sins, if there was any other way, don't you think God would have chosen an easier way? There wasn't any other way. And that's the reason why Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Seek and to save. Which means the world's lost. It means that everybody is not going to heaven. If they were, Christ wouldn't need to come. The Bible says we're lost without God. Isaiah reminds us that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of it all. It means he piled up on our God all of our sins, all of our will over God's will. That's how we define sin. My will over God's will. He piled it up. Lost. Talking about what Jesus did on the cross. And the Bible says all sin, all sin comes short of God's glory. And that's what God said, I'll be the good shepherd. I'm going to come and seek and to save. I'm going to find you. Because it's our nature. Our natural nature is to wander. We naturally get lost. It's proof. Moses wouldn't stop and ask for direction. They wandered for 40 years. Some guy, right? The women are saying, well, you stop and ask for directions. No, I know where I'm going. Been there before. I'm only kidding. It's really not in the Bible. We like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way. God's piled all of our sin. Everything we've done wrong, we've piled it on Him. Christ. We, we, we naturally are lost. We naturally wander. I haven't a clue, the slightest idea what I'm supposed to do in the next part of my life. We get to the point where I don't know what I'm... <laughs> I'm lost over what I do with my finances and my career. I don't know what I, sometimes I don't know if I should hold on or let go. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if I should keep going or I should give up. Do I try something different? If that's ever, you ever experienced that, guess what? You're lost. You need a guide, someone who guide, walk with you. And maybe you've got a guide to walk with you, but you're not listening to him. You're not depending on him. What does God do? Here's important now. What does God do when you wander off? What does he do? Your child of the king. We're talking about children of God right now. What does he do when the child of God wanders off? 
Well, look what David said. Psalm 119, verse 67, 68, and I jump to 71. Notice David said, David, David said this. Say with me. He disciplines, he talks, and he corrects. Say that. He disciplines, he talks, and corrects. Listen, he does the same thing you would do if your child was lost. You're out shopping someplace in a mall, and your little loved one disappears. You know, where they went. They were there two seconds ago. They're gone. And you're freaking out. Oh, no. They captured them. Some of you might say, Tale of the. But if you're a real parent, you say, what am I going to do? And you go frantic looking for this child. And, you know, maybe he's over here. He was talking about this. And you begin to look around. Now, when you finally find the child, what do you do? Your emotions are like, I'm going to kill you now. You first of all, you say, are you all right? Good, because I'm going to kill you. And you sit down and you have a talk with them. And you're going to put some boundaries in place. You're going to correct them. You're going to discipline them. You're not going to do this again. You need to hold our hand. You need to stay here. I'll put a leash on you. We're not going through this again for your own good. That's what you do. Well, look what David said. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Notice what he says in verse 71. It was good for me to be what? Afflicted. So that I might learn your decrees. Wow. David said, I used to wander off. But Lord, you disciplined me. Now I'm, <laughs> I closely follow your word. You are good. So even when he disciplines you, according to what David said, his experience was, was, it was for a good purpose. So you trained me. You teach me, you taught me, you taught me your principles. And we've talked about this time and time again. Discipline and punishment are not the same. We don't punish our kids. We discipline them, and there's a reason for it. Punishment is something that's done when you, you need to pay for penalty of the past. Something you did in the past, you've got to pay for that. You're being punished. But when it comes to discipline, it's training correction for the future. Big difference. It's always done in love. One might be done in anger. Punishment can be done in anger. Vengeance. But not discipline. It's done in love. You have the future in mind. Forget the past. Future in mind. I'm going to discipline. I'm going to pour myself into you. And that's, so why, that's why it's so important to know the difference because when something goes wrong in your life, you can be thinking, oh, God's getting even with me. He's punishing me. I didn't live up to a certain standard I was supposed to. Oh, no. Listen to me very close, carefully. God never punishes His children. Never, ever. He never punishes those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. You say, why? Because He paid for that 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us clearly that on the cross, all of the punishment for our sins was paid on the cross. And if God was to punish you now for your sins, it'd be like double punishment. What do they call it? Double jeopardy or whatever? means that Jesus' punishment, at that time, he took on the cross. If he could punish you again, then Christ's death on the cross was not enough. Of course it was. Isaiah 53 tells us, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was cruised, crushed for our iniquities, he was pun the punishment that, was brought, has, that brought us peace was upon him, 
By his wounds we have been healed. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, Pastor Bob, you're saying, Lord, wait a Jesus disciplines. Yes, he does. He'll bring affliction into your life, but he's not going to punish you. Why? You mean to tell me he's never going to punish me again for my sins or judge me for our sins? That's right. Not if you trusted the Lord Jesus for salvation. He took the punishment. He took the judgment. It's called grace. Grace is where God gives you what you, what you need, not what you deserve. David said, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might look. Now, I'm sure he didn't think in the moment of his affliction that it was good. But now he knows, I learned my lesson. I've learned your decrees, Lord. I've learned that your word is true. Those principles are good. They're, they'll keep me out of trouble. They'll, they'll, they'll allow me to overcome. I've learned, Lord, through that affliction. Through that affliction, you got... You got my attention, Lord. You got my attention. Because, see, there's education in affliction. David said, it was good for me to be afflicted. You say, what's affliction? What's affliction? It's suffering that brings about our purification as we identify with Christ. That's what affliction, I love that statement. Affliction is suffering that brings about our purification as we identify with Christ Jesus. I can... It's simple. It means that I can, I can experience emotional affliction in my heart. I can experience a, a relational experience, uh, affliction in our relationships. I can experience a physical affliction in my body. What's the purpose? The, it's not punishment. It's discipline through affliction. Why? For the purpose of purification. Purification to become more like Christ. And I want to tell you something else. This is important. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Stop asking why. If you're going to learn his statutes, if you're going to learn his decrees, stop asking why. Why is this happening to me, Lord? Start asking, what do you want me to learn? What are you showing me in this affliction? What are you showing me? See, no matter what happens in your life, just ask, stop asking why. Because there are some things, folks, that we can only learn through pain. We try to avoid it, but you can only... Listen to me. I learned as a young child, do not play with the light sockets. I got that shock. I learned through pain. You learn that you, you don't want to walk on thin ice. You learn. Someone could tell you, don't play with electricity. They could tell you, don't walk on that... Well, you're going to do it anyway. Because the tendency is when someone tells you not to do something, what do you do? You do it. <laughs> you know? Don't touch that. We just painted. Wet paint. Oh, yeah, right? Honey, how many people, when you see a sign that says wet paint, go, really? Is it wet? You test it, right? We do that. I had someone just last week working with me. There are guys in there painting. Next thing you know, there's a stripe on his pants. Why? Because he leaned against the windowsill. I'm not going to tell you who it was. I have one employee. <laughs> and Jennifer's just going, oh. those are new pants. I can't believe it did it again. What's affliction? Suffering that brings about purification. Our purification as we what? Identify. If you don't identify with Christ, forget about purification. You're just trying to be better 
and, and you know, for your own purpose. But when I want to identify with Christ, then I'm going to look for getting rid of all that stuff that's unlike Jesus. Get out of my life. That's what I want. So stop asking why. Just figure out, Lord, what, what, what is it? I'm going to tell you something. God Almighty, He whispers to us in our pleasures and God shouts to us in our pains. It's, pain is like God's megaphone. It's the way God gets our attention. He gets our attention. And so David said, it was good for me. It was good for me. It was good for me when I was afflicted. It was good for me. So say, Pastor Bob, how do we keep from wandering into these preventable problems? That's important because there are some problems that are unpreventable. You just they're going to go with it. But there are some problems that are very preventable. How do we get that? We've got to be trained. We have to be trained in God's principles. You say, well, how do you get them? What does it mean to be trained in His principles? What does it mean? Well, you have to obey His Word. You have to read His Word, obey His Word. It means you need to learn to be wise. Wisdom is being trained in God's principles. Where are those principles? They're in His book. The more you understand God's principles, the wiser you'll be. And the wiser you'll be, the fewer problems you're going to bring upon yourself. How do you get the wisdom of God? How do you learn those principles? How do you get trained? You've got to obey the Word. It's simple. Look for the principles of the Word and apply them to your life. It's not difficult. When you do that, it's called quiet time. It's time when you just shut things down. You spend a little time, five, ten minutes. Listen, if you're starting off, just start off with a few minutes. Get into it for a few minutes. As you mature, you probably spend a couple hours. You know, digging to the Word of God. The more you time, time you spend in the book, the wiser you become. And the wiser you become, the fewer problems you're going to make for yourself. Amen. I'm not saying problems are going to go away. You're going to have them, but at least you reduced them a little bit. Quick review. Where we are still at this point. God wants to guide you and guard you. He says, if you bring Jesus, if you bring, if I bring Jesus hurt to my hurt, he shows me compassion. If I choose to follow him, he's going to lead me in the right path, right decision. If I get confused and wander off, he's going to find me and bring me back. He seeks and saves. Does that make sense? Number four. If you and I fail, Jesus can rescue and recover us. Can you say amen to that? Glory be. How many times have you had to stand up and you're going to brush yourself off because you fell? Now, Matthew chapter 12 says this. And he said to them, if any of you, some of the Pharisees, if any of you have sheep and he falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is the man than the sheep? Therefore, it is lawful Wherefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, the issue was, in the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath by Jewish law. If your sheep or your animal fell into a ditch, pitch, you had to leave them there. Couldn't work, couldn't do it. Now, Jesus said, look, it, common sense says you're going to rescue them. How much more valuable is a man over the sheep? Isn't God going to act that same way towards you, you're saying? If you think for a moment that if you fail, that he's going to rescue you and pick you up and strengthen you, when you mess up, something happens in your life, you're going to run to him. But on the other hand, if you think that God is going to rebuke you and give you this long sermon about what you should have, shouldn't have done and kind of try to manipulate, make you feel guilty, then you're going to avoid him. Make sense? All right. Come with me on this. Say you're walking down the street one day come into a construction area and you fall into a hole, pit. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a ditch. It's made 25 feet deep, and there's no way out. You can't get out whatsoever. What are you going to do? How are you going to get out? Based upon how you think about the world, think about yourself and people around you, you're going to do certain things. You're going to do it a certain way. Let me ask you this. What is your worldview? Because how you think, the very core values you have, are what you're going to kick into gear on and try to use to get out of this mess. Past experiences, whatever it is, how you've been taught, whatever it is, you're going to, that's what you're going to do. Now, if you're stuck in this pit and you can't get out and you're stuck and a Buddhist monk was to walk by and you cry out, help me out, he's going to look down and look at you and say, it's because of karma. What goes around comes around. You deserve what you get in this life. There's no such thing as innocent suffering in Buddhism. So because there's no such thing as innocent suffering, there's no such thing as comfort. If you're suffering, Buddhist monk's going to say it's because it's your own fault. It's called karma. You deserve it. How many times we relate people that, oh, you're going to get what you're going around, comes around, you know, bad karma. I hear that often from Christians' mouths, and we're talking about karma. We talk, what goes around comes around. There's a belief system there. It's not attached to Scripture. It's certainly not something that Christ would teach. You think Jesus is, oh, that's right, what goes around comes around. Ha, ha, ha. Christ doesn't do that. Okay, let's say that Muhammad goes by. He sees you there, the pit. Help me, get me out of here. He looks down at you, he's going to say, you're there because you violated the dignity of Allah. You have broken his commandments, you've disobeyed his rules. Enjoy the pit. You're still in the pit. Some Hindu guru comes by. He says to you, you're in a pit. It's just an illusion. We don't believe in pain. All pain is just an illusion. It's all in your mind. You're not really in a pit. Maybe the pit is in you. And walks away. And then we get this new age coach or self-help coach sees you in a pit. They just say, all you got to do is believe. You can get out of the pit on your own. That's a message we hear in our world today. Just believe. When a man can conceive, he can achieve. That's what the belief is. And there's a philosophy that runs through our society just like that. All you got to do, that coach tells you, is just believe you can fly. You're a god. Sorry, dude. You're not a god. If you were a god, you wouldn't have fallen into the pit. If you were a god, you wouldn't have a problem. You'd have the answer already. Listen, you're not a God. You can't even solve your own problems, much less the world's problems. And besides, the New Age movement is no New Age whatsoever. It's not new at all. It's the oldest lie known to man. It was the first lie that Satan told Adam and Eve when they said, either through you can become a God. It's been around for a long, long time. And I can walk up to a bird that's got his wing cut off, and I can say to the little bird, listen, little bird, I believe you can fly. That bird will never fly. No matter how much they believe they can, it's baloney for us to say that whatever you believe you can be, it's just not true. But folks, I believe in positive, being positive about things. Positive thinking only works on stuff you can control. And the truth is, most of the world's out of our control. So, okay, you're back in the pit now. 
Buddha says it's karma. Muhammad says you violate the laws of Allah. Hindu says it's not really a pit. New Age says you're a god, fly. Then comes Jesus. What's he say? Can I give you a hand? He doesn't make an excuse. He simply asks, can I help you out? He gives you the choice. He asks, can I help you out? That's being a savior. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save. And so he says, can I give you a hand up? And lift you up. And that should be the church's message. Can I give you a hand? It's your choice. But can I give you a hand? I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to throw rules and regulations after you. I want to help you. Can I give you a hand? Can I give you a hand? That's being a savior. That's the salvation that God offers when he says, I want to help you. Because, folks, there is real suffering in the world. It's not an illusion. God didn't cause that suffering. He allowed it. He allows it. He could end all the suffering in a moment in a snap of His finger, but to do that, He would have to take away our freedom. Freedom of choice. Think about this. If... if <laughs> He could force us to always do the right thing. He could do that. He could do that. And what if, what if everybody did the right thing, always did the right thing? If everybody could do that, then the world wouldn't be broken, right? But then there would be no love. Not real love. We'd be like marionettes on a string, just kind of going little puppets all and doing all they're supposed to do, you know? And God wants to give us a choice. He wants a group of people who will choose to love Him voluntarily, who follow His word voluntarily. Not love if you don't have a choice. If you're forced to love, it's not love. He's not going to force you strings attached to cause you to force to pray certain times a day. He's not going to manipulate you. Freedom to choose what God gives you is our greatest gift. But it's also a worse curse. Because we all make bad mistakes. As a result, we we have we have as a society, we've wrecked our economy, we've wrecked our environment. And our environment takes people's lives who are innocent. We hurt people intentionally and unintentionally sometimes. It's there. But God didn't cause the suffering. But He does allow the consequence of our own decisions. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You are free. You are free to make any decision you want to make in life. But the moment you make that decision, we need to teach this. The moment you make that decision, you're free to make any decision you want. But the moment you make that decision, that decision is now brings with it a consequence. And you are not free from the consequence. You're free to make the choice, but you're not free from the consequence of that choice. You're not. Psalm 71, verse 20 says this, You have let me sink down deep in what? Desperate problems. But you will bring me back to life up from the depths of the earth. I was, David, you know, I was, I was deep and I was in a deep pit. But Lord, you helped me out. You, you, Jesus said, I'm going to help you out. You need new life. Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need to be born. Change the way you think. Amen. That's the good news. 
When Jesus becomes your shepherd, you're no longer on your own. He takes away all that. That takes away stress. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, Have no fear of sudden disaster or ruin of, that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. You don't have to be afraid. His rod and his cap, snap, they comfort you. He'll be your security. He's going to keep you safe. He'll keep you from stumbling. He will. Apply his principles. Follow. Don't approach the Lord, your relationship with God, like he wants to drive you. I'm not going to a place until he drives me. No, no, he wants you to follow. He wants you to follow. We were camping a couple weeks ago, and little Brookie just did not want to go with us. You know, so we were camping, and so kids, oh, she's not going. I said, she's right there. Come on, let's go. But you got, I'm not going to go get her. I see where she's at. She's not going anyplace. She's right there. Go, we're leaving. Kept an eye on her, and I could see her. She's got her back to me, you know, and I'm walking. Nice slow. Every now and I check back, and she's like, and all of a sudden I see her going. She comes running, you know. Now she's mad at me, but she's coming. See, we, we, we kind of get this relationship. We're going to do our own thing until God drives us. No, no. He says, follow me. I know where you're at. Follow me. It's your choice. You want to stay there huffed up? Go ahead. Do what you got to do. But that's where I'm going. Keeps an eye on us. It's our choice. Our choice. Our choice. One more thing. We'll close this thing down. It's not your job. Listen to me now. It's not your job to save yourself. And it's not your job to keep yourself saved. What your job is to put your hand in the master's hand. Your job is to follow him. When you put your hand in the master's hand, what you're saying is, I'm all yours. I'm all yours, Lord, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know. Lord, I could never enter heaven on my own good works. Can't I'm, <laughs> I'm not perfect. I never will be, but I'm putting my hand in your hand. Lord, I have accepted, I've accepted your son as my savior. I acknowledge that my will at this point has been against your will. And there's a whole lot of junk in my life that just is imperfect. It's just not right, Lord. I need to be saved and rescued. Forgive me for that stuff, that sin. I'm accepting you as my savior and put my hand in your hand. And there'll be days, there'll be days, folks, when you want to let go of God's hand. But I'm able to let go of yours because he loves you and because he's a good shepherd. He said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they what? Follow. I underline that. They follow me. They know my voice and they follow me. They follow me. They follow me. That's how you know who's a believer and who's not a believer. No matter what they say, no matter what they project, no matter what the mask they put on, you can always tell a believer from a non-believer because the believer will follow. Will follow Christ. And when we follow Christ, the Scripture says, we then receive what the Scripture? Eternal life. They follow me in verse 8, 28, and I give them eternal life. When I follow Christ, I receive eternal life. If my relationship with God is He drives me, you're bumming, you're having a problem. Because you're not following. The real trial of God follows. Follows. Because we're not getting to heaven on our own. 
of only the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. We to commit our lives to him and our hands in his hand. Satan can't steal your salvation, dude. Sorrow can't steal your salvation. Sickness can't steal your salvation. Society cannot steal your salvation. Romans says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither praise present or future, nor powers, neither heights or depths, or any of those things, all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. They're in his hand. Second Peter says this, his divine power, notice this, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and by His own goodness. We have everything we need in this life for life and godliness. And it's not because we deserve it or because we promise to be perfect. We have these things because we know Him. Because we know Him. And close this thing down. And my question simply is this. Do you know the Savior? Do you know the shepherd? Do you see him as a shepherd? Or do you see him as a cowboy? If you don't know him today, today is the day of salvation. You need to call out to Christ. Just simply say, Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need your guard. Your rod and your staff. You need to protect me. Thank you for your power, the promise of power and authority. I want you to be shepherd of my life. I want you to be lord of my life. Be master of my life. Be the manager of my life. Be CEO of the, of the board of my life. Forgive me. Forgive me of my selfishness. Selfishness has compelled me to this point. Forgive me of that. Forgive me of that. And bring your hurts. Bring your pain. Bring your problems, troubles, etc. Because I said the scripture says I'll show you. Compassion. You say, well, Pastor Bob, I've already done that, but you know, once in a while I'm a little confused. It's got nothing to do with my age. It's just kind of confused here a little bit, and I wander off. The comfort of the Scripture is simply this. If you get confused and you wander off, He'll find you. Come on, spend some time before Him. Cry out to Him. Thank Him. Amen. He said He'll seek and save that which is lost. Thank Him. Even for that discipline that comes into your life, that affliction that comes in, realize it's not punishment. He's not casting you aside. He's not out of anger. He loves you. He's trying to teach you something. Amen. You got yourself into trouble because you weren't applying that principle that God had for you, and now He's put a little affliction in your life to kind of say, hey, guy, you know, you got in some briar patch. I'm not going to pull you out of that thing. I'm in a pit right now. I said, well, Pastor Bob, I feel like I'm in a pit right now. Pit of frustrating, I know. It could be a pit of frustration, a discouragement, financial pit, depression, I don't know. You need your rescue. Come before him. Begin to seek. And don't come before him. Oh, get me out of trouble here, Lord. No, no. You're going to go to the Lord and say, where's your answer, Lord? Teach me something. Look back. Go back. Why? How, you know, I'm here. How can I avoid this, Lord? What's the answer? What's your principle? We'll put it in place and begin to rely upon him and live it out. Because the Lord's very clear and he says, if you trust me, Save you, I'll keep you. Keep you safe. Because there's no illness, no authority, no government, no power, nothing else can separate you from the love of God. Amen. We're going to spend some time around the altar, some time in music, prayer. I challenge you. Reaffirm, put your hand in the hand of the Master. Give him yourself. Trust him. Say you're going to. You want to be part of the family of God. Be part of the flock. Become one of the sheep. 
I know we're a dumb bunch, but I tell you what, we got a great leader. Amen. 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 Because we don't have to have smarts because we have the mind of Christ. Amen. So dumb sheep who have the mind of Christ. Everything's going to be all right. Is that right? Amen. These altars are open. Let's spend some time in prayer and believe God for this miracle in our lives. Amen. And amen. Amen. He raises us up to be more than we can be. Father, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you for the scripture. For David, Lord, in giving us the analogy, being able to reflect upon his relationship with you as a shepherd. Prelude of telling us exactly how you would be. Your desires for us as a good shepherd. I pray that we will be able to say as a congregation, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. And you comfort. For you are a good God. And Father, I ask you to touch and strengthen now as we leave this place, that the relationships we have with you continue to grow. And Father, we might draw closer to you and grant us that wisdom that we need as we get into your word more and more. Establish that relationship within our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way within our lives. Draw us closer. We can be all that you called us to be. Reflection of you, my Lord. We might find ourselves in you. Experiencing that great relationship. Transformation, that change. So we got to touch and bless as always. We leave this place to go our different ways. Give us insight to your word. Father, bring us back safely again. A commitment. To you. We love you a bunch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Folks, you're dismissed. You go down. Commit to the house.